Matthew 17. So good to be with you this morning. Hope everybody's doing well. We're going to be continuing our study in the book of Matthew. Uh, when I was young, I remember my parents taking me on a beach trip. And uh, we ended up going with another family, which was different. Uh, we didn't typically go with other families that weren't part of our family or extended family. Um, but, but we went on this beach trip with this other family, and they had a son as well. And I thought that would be good. I'd get to play with someone else. But um, he was just a little bit older than me. But he had, uh, unfortunately, he grew up the first four years of his life, healthy boy, and nothing wrong with him. Uh, and then he had seizures. Uh, and those seizures led to a number of issues over the following 10 years of his life. Uh, and he suffered greatly from them. Unfortunately, um, his, he wasn't able to do the basic things that, that, that I could do. I mean, there was a huge difference between us, uh, even though he was older than me. And he, he struggled to walk. He struggled to talk. Um, those, those seizures had an extreme effect on his ability to function. Uh, and, and that was really the, the only time that I'd ever really experienced that or been around anything like that. Maybe you've been around that before in your life, but I had, I had not, and, and it was kind of a shock to me. But that's, that's kind of stuck with me. And as, as we read the stories like we're going to read this morning, I just picture uh, him and what, what he and his family was going through as we read about this. In verse 14 of Matthew 17, it says, When they came to the crowd... A man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. You can just feel the hopelessness. In this situation, here's a father who has a son who's had seizures, and now these seizures have had such an impact on him that they've thrown him into the fire. Uh, he's just convulsing. He has no control over anything that he's doing. And you got to think, maybe he's tried to medicate, maybe he tried to do something to try to limit those seizures, but they keep coming, they keep coming, uh, and it's debilitating and it's life-threatening. And here's this father who has this son, and he comes to Jesus and to his disciples, and he finds out that even the disciples couldn't help him. There's nothing anybody has been able to do to help him overcome these seizures. And now even the disciples can't help this father with his son. This is kind of odd to us as we have studied the book of Matthew uh, we remember, hopefully, back in chapter 10, where Jesus commissioned his disciples to go out, and he gave them authority over uh, disease and unclean spirits and, and, and every affliction in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. In verse 7 of Matthew 10, Jesus says, as you, And proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons you received without paying, Give without paying. And the image is that they do that. They go out and they, they preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand and they heal and they, they help everybody. And, and God is with them and he's working through them. But now they can't. What's happened? Where's Jesus? 
Well, that first phrase in verse 14, uh, and when they came to the crowd, indicates this is continuing from what we've studied last week, right? Jesus uh, had, had talked to his disciples about his departure, his, his death in chapter 16 and then chapter 17. Uh, he takes Peter and James and John up on the mount uh, to show, him, show them his glory. And now they're coming down from the mountain and there's a crowd. It sounds a little bit like Exodus. Uh, there's a crowd that's, that's around there. There's something going on. But a man comes up as, as he and three of his disciples are there. And he's asking for help. And none of those nine disciples who've been waiting there at the bottom of the mountain were able to do anything. And notice what Jesus says in response in verse 17. It says, And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. Words from Jesus are shocking. Oh, faithless and twisted generation. Some of your translations may say perverse generation. And that's an idea of uh, deliberately and obstinately desiring to act in an unreasonable or an unacceptable way. That's what that means. Jesus is visibly frustrated with this generation, he says. They're faithless. They're obstinate. They're unreasonable. The way that they view things, the way that they live is unacceptable. These are odd words coming out of the mouth of Jesus. We don't really expect to hear that very much from him. Um, in the past, we've heard some uh, you know, statements of, wow, look at your faith, right? From the centurion. Remember the centurion's faith. Remember the Canaanite woman's faith. And there's, there's been great faith that's been shown, but now he just looks out and this is what he sees. This is a faithless and twisted generation. And then he asks these questions, which are even more confusing. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? You see the repetition, the emphasis. How long? How long is this going to take? You know, why, why would Jesus ask this question? If you're there in the audience, and you hear Jesus say, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? How would that feel? Imagine being one of the disciples who have failed to cast out the demon and hearing Jesus making this statement about your whole generation. You're faithless, you're twisted, you're perverse, you're obstinate, you're unreasonable. You keep desiring to act in an unacceptable way. It's not a good feeling. If you're a disciple of Jesus's, that's not a good feeling. That's not something that, that really builds you up, right? That's something that just tears you down. It eats you up inside. You don't want to be considered faithless. You don't want to be considered uh, obstinate or twisted or perverse. Maybe we think, oh, it's just talking to the, about the guy or it's just talking about the crowd. You know, what, what's going on here? Well, you go to Mark's account, you actually get a lot more information. And there's a lot of discussion about the man's faith, the father's faith. But Matthew doesn't give us that. Matthew doesn't give us that. As we continue reading, we start to understand that he's including the disciples 
in what he's saying here. Be with me, verses 18 through uh, 20. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, If you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. You know, we like this verse, right? I mean, I love this verse. It's a really interesting verse, but the context surrounding it is really interesting, and and you just kind of wonder, you know, What's going on here and why is Jesus saying these words? You know, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you'll move mountains. and Nothing will be impossible. Why does Jesus say that? First of all, notice, after Jesus says, bring him here to me, Jesus then rebukes the spirit, the demon that's inside of him, and it immediately comes out of him and the boy's healed. All the struggle, all the, 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 the trying of the disciples resulted in nothing. But Jesus just rebukes the spirit and immediately it comes out. He doesn't struggle at all. He doesn't refuse to help because the generation is twisted and faithless and uh, you know, they're, not, they're, 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 they're difficult for him to live with and to be around. He doesn't just refuse to help and say, I'm done with you. He accepts him. He helps him. And it's not too difficult for him. If it was too difficult for the disciples, it's not for him. In fact, if you look throughout the Gospels, at all the times Jesus is approached by a demon, you'll see not one challenges him. There's not one that can stand against him. He defeats them all. And they beg him not to punish them to a further extreme. Jesus can do that. But what about the disciples? They ask the question, why, why, couldn't we, why couldn't we cast it out? They're curious. They don't understand what's happening. You know, what, why? I, we were able to do this before. Why can't we do this now? Jesus' response is, because of your little faith. And really the statement, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, is a rebuke. You don't even have the faith of a mustard seed. What? How did their faith get so low? That they don't even have the faith of a grain of mustard seed? Really? They had, they had enough faith earlier, I guess, because they were able to cast out demons and heal the sick and all this. But now they don't have faith. What's happened and, and, and what's going on? Well, if you have a New King James or a King James, maybe you're, you, you include verse 21, right? That's in your translations. It's not included in most of the translations we have today because the best manuscripts we have exclude it, which kind of points to the idea that it was added after the fact to try to help this text because it was also, this is a parallel with Mark 9, and in Mark 9 he says what is found in your verse 21. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. That kind of eases it a little bit to end on that. <laughs> to, to say this is a hard one. Uh, you have to really struggle with prayer and fasting. But if the original manuscripts leave that out, then understand the, the rebuke here. 
it's not because uh, this is a really hard one, but it's because you don't have faith. And that idea, uh, this nine doesn't go out except by prayer and fasting, is indicating the same thing. You're relying on yourself and you're not thinking about God and you're not trusting in God. You're not putting your faith in God. So it's the same thing. It's not really that different. It's not the end of the world. But the idea is their faith is gone. That's scary. That's scary. So I want to think about this text. I know it's not very much. It's not very long uh, story. But I want us to take a little bit of time to think about this because something important is going on here that I think we need to recognize. Notice that the broken stay broken without faith. Disciples don't help them. Jesus comes in. Of course, he is God and he shows us perfectly. He's a pioneer of our faith. He shows us how to trust in God, how to be But these disciples don't have faith and they can't do anything to help anybody else. Isn't it funny how they tried to cast out the demon? You would think they they understand now, okay, I I lost my faith now. I can't do this anymore, so I better not even try. No, they, they thought they could do it. They thought, well, I've done it all these times before. It's no big deal. I'll do it again. But God knew what was in their hearts. And he knew that inside there was no faith. There was little faith. So little, it's less than a grain of mustard seed. He knew that was in there. And he said, it's not enough. God doesn't require much faith, right? Just a grain of mustard seed, just a little bit. But he does require some faith. And these disciples didn't have it. So therefore, they could not heal the boy with seizures. Well, this begs the question that I'm sure is on our mind. How did they lose faith in Jesus? Look at verse 22. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will raise on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Does that sound familiar? You've been here the last two weeks. That does sound familiar because we've been hitting on this. Back in chapter 16, Jesus begins to reveal what's going to happen in the future to his disciples. They claim, they, they state, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And then he says to them, uh, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And they're going to put me to death. And then I'll be raised up. And you remember Peter comes back and says, Far be it from you, Lord. This will never happen to you. They don't understand. What Jesus, the picture Jesus is painting is a, a grim picture for us of, of his future. And that is not the picture they had for Jesus. And now what we see is verse 22 and 23 reminding us that these things have been weighing on their minds and their hearts and deteriorating their faith. Their faith is is going away because they're hearing about Jesus' future suffering. And they're also hearing about the fact that they, if they want to follow Jesus, must deny themselves, verse 24 of chapter 16, take up their cross and follow him. They must lose their life in order to gain it. 
These thoughts, these ideas are so difficult and so hard that they have started losing faith in Jesus. You remember, back in the last section, Jesus warned them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Beware of these men who have no faith in me and who are self-focused and, and evil. And now it seems as though that leaven is kind of spreading. Now they're maybe trying to do things on their own or, or, or doubting that Jesus is really who he says he is. Maybe they're starting to think he really is crazy. I mean, obviously, uh, maybe he's the Messiah, but he's got to be mistaken about this. He, the Messiah doesn't die like this. It can't happen. So they're fighting inside of themselves and they're struggling with this. And now we see the result is they're losing their ability to do the will of God, to help other people. God is not able to work through them because of the deception that maybe they've now believed. You go to Mark's account, it gives you a lot more information about this. So my thoughts are not that far out there from what Mark's account tells us. And it's hard to see all this necessarily in, in this account, but you can see the connection as he brings up in verse 22 and 23 the same things that he brought up before, and the response is, they were distressed. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to believe it. They don't want to believe that there has to be suffering. And this is why they're struggling to follow after Jesus at this point. Well, this has a lot of application to us, even though... As we look at this, we might think, well, we're not supposed to heal people of their seizures, right? I mean, that's not on us. Jesus didn't tell us that that was going to happen. He didn't give us that power. So, so obviously, this one is one that we just breeze over as we're reading through the book of Matthew and say, wow, that's interesting. I wonder what that was about. And then we just keep moving on. Um, you know, that might be our tendency because we don't heal people. But in a sense, we do. We minister to people. We build up the broken. We repair the broken lives that sin has caused and created. We are ministers and God is supposed to be working through us to glorify His name. I love Isaiah 61. And, and it's a, it's, it starts with a phrase that Jesus himself speaks in a synagogue. And then it transitions from talking about Jesus to talking about those who Jesus would come to save. Verse 1 of Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. 
that last little bit describes them. He says all the things Jesus is coming to do for them and how he's going to glorify them, that they might glorify him. And then at the very end, he says they're going to build up. They're going to restore. All, the, all that sin has destroyed, they're going to be builders. They're going to be workers. They're going to be healers. They're going to be doing the ministry and the work that I have been sent here to do. And so as we look at this text, we need to understand that we're here to glorify God through doing His work. And we can't do that without faith. Can't do it without faith. Can't build somebody up. Can't restore the broken. Can't reach out to the lost and bring them in to find healing in our Lord. We can't bring about the transformation of people's hearts and their minds by ourselves. Can't do it without God. Do you feel the struggle of being a disciple? The work that they're doing here is the work that Jesus has assigned to them. What work has God assigned to you? Are you struggling with it? Notice here, Jesus is not all about self-confidence and encouragement and building people up and just telling them a bunch of nice things. Oh, it's okay. Everything's good. You're fine. You're doing great. Even though they failed miserably. No, he's very stern. And he tells them, you faithless and twisted generation. How long am I to be with you? How long must I bear with you? Can you imagine him saying that to you? Because you just don't have enough faith to do your ministry? We fail, we fail, we fail. And we're refusing to put our faith and trust in God. And we're failing and we're failing and we're failing. How long must I bear with you? Now, this reminds me of my training program. <laughs> I feel like I'm in the training program all over again. It's almost like Brent read this beforehand and he knew that I was going to go through this moment. Um, where he's just like, how long am I going to be dealing with you not listening to me? I'm telling you what you need to do and you're not listening and you're not changing. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. Why don't you believe what I'm telling you? I hear his words in the words of Jesus. I hear his struggle, his, his anxiety, his frustration. And I think it all really applies to us as we consider that sometimes we fear suffering like they did. You know, we fail, and that failure doesn't mean that it's, you know, no big deal. It means sometimes relationships are strained. It means there's maybe pain and suffering as a consequence. We don't want that. And that's why we lose trust and lose faith because we're afraid if we put more faith in God, we might go through suffering. And so the prospect of future suffering tears apart our faith. Do you feel the struggle of the disciples? Well, what can we do? How can we get just a mustard seed of faith? Isn't that encouraging? Jesus says, if you just have a mustard seed of faith, you'll say to this mountain, 
get up, go over there, and it will obey you. That's amazing, isn't it? How do we get faith? A lot of denominations say that God has to give it to you. Some kind of miraculous, I'm going to put it on you. The Bible actually tells us that faith comes through hearing the word of God and believing what we hear. That's where faith comes. Our faith will grow as we learn who God is. We learn who we are. And we, we transform our hearts and our minds to desire to be like God because we see who He is and what He's done. Faith also grows through trials. What, this, what these disciples are going through is, as Jesus is telling them, how long must I bear with you? That's a trial. That's hard. That's difficult. But they're going to grow a little bit. They're at the bottom right now. <laughs> and they're going to work their way up. And then they're going to fall again. You remember, Peter denies Christ later on. Peter, who just saw the Lord on the mountain, saw His glory, who was not probably one of those disciples who failed to cast out the demon, is going to deny Jesus because of fear of suffering and pain. But as we continue and we progress, what we see in these disciples is a greater faith that's growing and growing to the point where they give their lives for this cause willingly. They suffer many things at the hands of evil men because they have great faith. But because they have great faith, they accomplish much in the kingdom. They fail. They put more faith and trust in God, not less. And God works through them to establish the kingdom, to establish the church of saved people on the earth. But you know, getting a mustard seed of faith is actually not far from the text that we're studying. It's funny how we overlook this. As Jesus tells them, uh, I'm going to suffer and, and die at the hands of men, he also says he will be raised on the third day. He's repeated it, and he said the same thing earlier. He said, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to be raised the third day. Isn't it interesting that the disciples are so focused on the idea and the prospect of their suffering that they fail to see the glory to come? They fail to see it. The resurrection. Guys, it's okay. It's going to be bad, <laughs> but it's okay. There is future glory to come. Believing and trusting in the righteousness and the goodness of God to hand that glory to all those who put their trust in Him is going to help our faith to continually grow and grow and grow, seeing the future that He's promised to us in the Word and understanding it and holding on to it with all our might. It's going to help us to grow in faith and become what God has desired for us to be. The book of Matthew is essentially a training manual for disciples. <laughs> and as we've studied this this morning, hopefully you've, you've kind of gotten a glimpse into the struggle of being a disciple. And I hope it encourages you to know that these men made the same kinds of mistakes that we do. And God did not, Jesus did not abandon them and say, well, you're a faithless and twisted generation and I'm tired of bearing with you. 
get away from me. I'm going to go get somebody else. So there's nobody else. <laughs> he keeps working with them and developing them. And I'm so grateful that that's what he's doing with me. And that's what he's willing to do with all of us here. This, is a, this has been a tough one for me. Um, and maybe for you as well. But I'm so thankful for the encouraging songs and the encouraging thoughts. I'm glad I sat up here just hearing everybody singing all these words. We have hope. Uh, it's a rejoicing, a, a great thing that God has sent his son to this earth to die on the cross for our sins. To forgive us of all our failures and all our shortcomings. And to show us and to reassure us that he loves us and that he's working with us to help us become what ultimately he wants us to be. If you're here this morning and you've not put on Christ, I want you to, to understand the hope of glory that comes after all the suffering. Asking you to put on Christ, to become a child of His, to devote your life to Him, to lose your life for this cause is the hardest thing I could ever ask you to do. It's not easy, and I don't want to act like it is. But it is the most beneficial thing we could do. The most helpful, uh, the, the, the most hopeful. There's hopelessness in everything else. And whatever's wrong, whatever is broken in your life, He can fix it. Will you put your faith and trust in Him? If we can help you do that in any way, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.